Whoa, look at that thing. Alright, so it's just basically a plank of wood. Mm. And he's he's foiled out the nose a little bit. And it's, I don't know, three and a half feet long. That's awesome. Long. Yeah, and uh, once you get it on edge, once you get this this edge in the wave, it just takes off. It's super fun. It looks awesome. What kind of wood is that? You know, I got to ask him what he used. Um, I'm really not sure, but it's it was sealed. Uh, he might not get it back. That's how excited I am about it. <laughs> oh, he, he let you borrow it. He, he just left it at the house because he was going to boat surf. We boat surfed on it, and he, like, stood on it. He didn't just lay on his belly. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, kind of like a Elia, like a short Elia. Um, but, um, yeah, so I took it out at Spot X and at the end of my session and just rode on my belly like normal pipo. And I don't think, like, because I have that surf mat. The mm -hmm. Surf mat is impossible to duck dive. Right. So, really? and, and there's no, there's no leash. So you just basically just get destroyed. Like just getting out this thing, you can push under no problem. And then it's so easy to get into waves. You just line up perpendicular to the power and off it goes. And then you just need to make sure that you're over, you, you ed, you set that inside edge and then it just takes off. Mm. As soon as you lose that edge, it just spins out and mm. it's super fun. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So you'll have to try it. Could he surf it behind the boat? Yes. Without um, the rope? We didn't, we didn't try. Uh, mm. He was still getting used to it, but he was riding it just fine in the curl of the wave with the rope. Wow. And I, I definitely think he could have. It's hard though, like you have to keep it, you have to keep this sharp edge in the wave. And as soon mm. as you, it gets released, slip, it slips away. Mm. So it's really temperamental. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Um, and then you can see here, He's concaved out just right here. Just a nice mm -hmm. little concave right there. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a great job. I mean, for an ER doctor, not a shaper. Yeah, it looks good, man. Rad. Anyway, That's very rad. It's my new obsession. That's cool. <laughs> I, I want to try that thing. Maybe that's his side business. Anyway, I figured I'd, I'd put something else in the background. Other than yeah, it looks intrigued. cool. <laughs> yeah, it looks cool, man. It's hipster. Yeah. Well, um, welcome to the show, guys. Dropping and Surf Show, episode 14. My name is Rob Case. We've got Jim Sigelnik uh, here as well. He's a doctor of physical therapy. And you can visit him at saltypt.com. Visit me at surfingpaddling.com. This is a show about math and science and surfing. And we've got some really fun stuff to share today. So today we're gonna go back to the video. So if you are watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to see what we're talking about. Uh, but if you are listening, we'll do our best, right, Jim, to try to describe what we're what we're viewing. So I sent you. Uh, I'll go ahead and share my screen here so that you can take a look. Can you see that? Okay. I can see it, yep. Okay, cool. So uh, what we're looking at is we're looking at Stab in the Dark All-Stars. So if you don't know about the show, uh, it's it was released a few months ago, I think, uh, on Stab Magazine. And uh, it's where uh, the first one was with Julian Wilson, I think, and then Jordy, Mick, 
and Dane have all done it. And basically, a pro surfer gets all these boards. They're totally blank. Uh, you don't know what they are. They they have a great idea of what the board is, but then they ride it and they're supposed to rate it, right? And it's actually really entertaining because you get to hear their feedback uh, before they figure out what the board is. So they they brought all the all the guys that had already done it. So they brought Jordy and Dane and Mick together, and Julian couldn't make it. So what? Twenty minutes into this thing, Mick blows out his ACL. And is gone. So had I paid for this when it first came out, I'd be pissed because Mick was surfing so well during this uh, this filming. Uh, but what I wanted to go over with Jim, since we got Jim here, is we're going to take a look at the video and discuss what happens because it's actually a pretty rare case where we get to see the incident on camera um, at full speed and then we can rewind it and slow it down. So that's kind of what we're doing today. Uh, I, I'm excited about it. Um, first off, I wanted to talk a little bit of physics with you, Jim, because I think this is the move that he was trying to do. He talked about he wanted to do a layback. So uh, this is an earlier move where he comes shooting out of the barrel at pretty high speed, and then he does this layback, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's what he was trying to do. He said he was trying to do a layback. Uh, but I'll talk a little bit about the physics uh, for you and for the others. So the, the, the interesting thing about this maneuver that he's doing uh, is that it kind of goes against the grain. Uh, and, and by that I mean his, all of his momentum's moving down the line. And you'll see all this speed moving down the line uh, as, we, as we shift forward. And then he puts it on rail. And as soon as he puts it on rail, you start to see the board starting to turn, right? But during this frame, his momentum, all of his mass, is still moving down the line. And I'm drawing arrows to the left, to the right, um, that he's surfing. And he's starting to cut back here, but all of his momentum is still continuing to go this way. But you can see here, once he's on edge, then if this is the action of his mass moving down the line and basically into the board, what's the reaction? because for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, the reaction is that there's pressure back here on this, uh, he's on rail, he's leaning, and so you have pressure on the bottom of the board counteracting the pressure moving down the line, right? And so now there's all this pressure and force along with torque. And I think in this episode earlier we talked about torque. I think it was episode three or two or one of those early ones. Uh, but essentially there's a lot going on here and what happens with this reaction that's hitting the bottom of the board is that normally on cutbacks if you're not going to lay back which he's already putting a lot of pressure on this tail and he's going to lay back and basically stop himself. Right? So he's stopping all of that momentum and he's putting on the brakes as opposed to a roundhouse where he would put this on rail gain speed through the turn come back to the whitewash and bounce off it and then continue on, right? So it's here, he's actually taking all that momentum and stopping on a roundhouse as that, as his momentum goes down into the board and the water resists that, because out here there's, there's no real power. And so he's gaining speed from his momentum 
being carried through the through the turn if you were to turn this all the way through to a roundhouse. So the, the water actually hits the bottom of the board and then it's got to go somewhere. And so it shoots out the back and creates thrust. That action creates a forward movement around that curve. But in this, so that's a normal roundhouse where a normal roundhouse you're actually carrying your speed through it all the way around. And you see the guys like Joel and Mick they come out of the turn like that with more speed than they went into. This one, you can see he's actually putting on the brakes, so it's a different mechanics. But the physics, the, all that momentum, all that force needs to go somewhere, right? And so where does it go? It doesn't, it doesn't propel him around. He's got to take all the force into his legs and into his body. And that's what happens on the next time he does that and something, something's got to give, and something gave. So, does that make sense, Jim? The physics behind that turn. Yeah, I really enjoy how you explain that. So this is the the layback that he was trying to do, where his knee did not buckle, and you can see here the knee strengthens all the way through the turn, and he kills all of that speed, completely dead in the water right here, and then he's got to use gravity and then the speed from uh, the wave to get going again. So fast forward uh, to where he busted his knee. Here's the wave at full speed. He's going down the line, he gets barreled. It's a right again. And he sets up basically exactly the same and it just pops. So there's a better look at it. And I'll slow down this one out actually in full speed. You've seen this a couple times. So here's the slow-mo. Yeah. Boop, and right there, that's where it goes. So if you see the way that he set up, yeah. he takes a little bit more of a vertical line than in that last layback. But he described on the beach, he's like, yeah, I was setting up for a layback. So you can see here, he's starting mm -hmm. to kind of stop his momentum. His momentum here, it's still going down the line, but it's more up at this point, right? Because he goes from the lower part of the wave, kind of more of it a diagonal instead of straight down the line. But all that momentum, once again, is being resisted by the bottom of the board right there. Okay, so as he comes around, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going frame by frame here, he starts at the very top of the wave, and he makes a very light curve with a, look how, how he's turning the board around that axis point. And then right here is where that edge kind of locks in. So the rail locks, and now all of his momentum's going again down the line, and then the resistance, the reaction to that motion is pushing here, but because he's trying to, he's basically stopping himself, then all the force goes into that back leg, right there, and I think right, you could see it when the knee goes, right there between yeah. that frame and that frame. So you would look at that and look at be like, oh, that's like Craig Anderson dropped knee. Mm -hmm. But because there's so much force going down and into it right now because of the force that he came into, so the action reaction, uh, I think that, that that's where the knee kind of just gave out and then mm -hmm. whoop, he's done for at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's the physics behind it. What do you, What's going on with the knee at this point? Yeah, you mind um, playing it again in, in real time so we can yeah. get a just kind of sense of how that looks? 
Yeah. Do you want the this view right here? The this close yeah, up. Yeah, that view. Here? That okay. view is good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Here's full speed. Well, they slowed it down. So is that good, mm. or do you want to go back to the full full speed? See how fast it all happens. If that's not a pain in the butt. No, no, no. Watch. There we go. We'll even add the barrel in. So we've gone back to the full full speed. You can't really see the knee as well. Mm. See, because the front, the wave in front is kind of blocking it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you want that one slowed down? No, that was good. That was good. The other view is probably better. Yeah, I like this one a little bit too because it's more front on. It's just that that wave kind of gets in the wave in the way, right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, as opposed to his other turn, his back knee was really kind of locked, more like a squat in the last one this one it's kind of locked and then right there he brings it in mm -hmm. and then there it goes mm -hmm. yeah i guess you got to wonder if it was on its way going further in just from some of the physics you laid out or if that was like a byproduct of the injury you know what i mean right chicken or egg I mean, it was, he was ripping in this session. And yeah. it was funny, in the video they talked about how I think he was getting like 18 waves to Jordy's like six and and, uh, and Dane's five. <laughs> yeah, I think Dane uh, labeled Jordy and Mick uh, assassins or something. And yes, yeah, that was Something it. like that, in, yeah. uh, comparing their wave counts. And I guess that session, I think Dane made a comment that... Uh, uh, Mick was over getting barreled while, while uh, Jordy and Dane were just kind of hanging out for a bit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we all know, Mick is outstanding. And, yeah, I guess um, it just kind of begs that question. Like, you have obviously one of the most skilled surfers um, in our time uh, who's probably done that turn thousands of times. Why now, right? Why, why would it let go? Um, and, you know, you talk about the physics of maybe the knee was a bit more this or maybe the angle on the board was a bit more that. And I think, um, you know, Nick's Mick's probably uh, obviously an expert in all those nuances and those sensations under his feet. And so, um, yeah, I, I think um, in the realm of and so <clears throat> if we didn't say it uh, and if you haven't seen the episode, we all know Mick tore his ACL his anterior cruciate ligament, which is uh, one of the internal ligaments of the knee. And it's one of the most commonly torn uh, knee ligaments amongst athletes, um, especially surfers, um, and especially now uh, more with the aerial game. And to do it on a turn like this, um, what I would probably say is a dime a dozen turn for Mick and to see it let go was like, it was truly fascinating. And um, I don't, no, Rob, if I necessarily have answers, but more questions to why this happened. Um, uh, and if, can, you just, if, can you describe the ACL a little bit? Like, if I'm looking at his back knee here, mm -hmm. right, um, you said it's internal. Is yep. it on one side or the other, or is it right down the middle? In the, it, the it, it's kind of right down the middle. And so just to kind of give the viewers um, some basic nomenclature, 
Front and back is termed anterior and posterior. So anterior is the front part of the knee, like where the kneecap lives, and then posterior is the back. And then lateral is the outside of the knee. So on Mick's right knee, it would be like if his right hand went down and touched his leg, that's mm -hmm. the outer or the lateral. And then the medial is like the inner part of the knee closer to the other knee. All right, so <clears throat> anterior front, posterior back, right? correct? And then lateral outside. Yep. And then medial inside, right? Yep. Okay, cool. And so the ACL is essentially right in the middle part of the knee. And I'll kind of like, kind of do a figure with my hand. If this is the top of the thigh bone and we're looking at it, and this is the uh, top part of um, the tibia, the lower leg shin bone, the ACL kind of sits what we call anterior medial and posterior to lateral. So I'm crossing my fingers like this. So my middle finger, and for those that are listening, probably can't see it, but I'm taking my middle finger and crossing it over my index finger. And the ACL is kind of like the strut that runs from the anterior medial portion of the tibial plateau, or the top part of the shin bone. And then it goes posterior to lateral. And it attaches to the condyle, the lateral condyle of the femur. And so it's kind of like it covers this kind of oblique axis, right? And, and, and so since it sits on that oblique axis, all ligaments by uh, really their uh, nature are essentially restraints. So if we had our shoe on and we tied shoelaces, the shoelaces keep the shoe on the uh, foot. Ligaments are essentially the same thing. They're keeping things stable so they don't... Uh, maybe wiggle around as much, so to speak. They also have some unique um, uh, function with things like proprioception because they're innervated with nerve endings. And so we talked, to, I think, a bit about that last time on what proprioception is, and it has to do with some of that complicated nervous system stuff going to the spinal cord and brain and reacting back. So the ligaments play a big role in that. Um, but Biomechanically speaking, what the ACL does is it's a restraint and it limits the tibia or the lower leg bone from translating forward, what we call anterior translation. Yeah. It also limits uh, valgus, which is what you saw mix. What we're seeing, yeah. What, yeah, what you saw uh, mix um, knee fall into, which is sometimes called knock need uh, or um, femoral collapse is another term that's commonly used. Mm -hmm. And so... It, it limits front and back uh, planar motion, ma mainly anterior uh, translation. That valgus position, which is uh, primarily um, in the frontal planes, side to side. So in other words, it limits the knee from going inward. And then it has a rotary uh, restraint as well. It limits the, uh, f uh, what we call femoral or thigh bone, femur, internal rotation. In other words... Okay tibial external rotation so it limits this twist in the knee yeah okay. um and so that's like you know um that valgus position is thought to be um and i don't want to use the word unsafe because like in the world of strength and conditioning this is a bit of a debatable topic and and you've heard me talk about how the body adapts yeah. and so forth and so a lot of the studies um that are out there on acl uh um, mechanisms of injury are kind of like what we're seeing right now. Usually we see some sort of valgus um, incident. Yeah. And um, 
and then from that we would go okay well um valgus is bad don't train into valgus and so forth and so from that uh uh kind of mechanism we go all valgus positions must be bad therefore let's avoid them and uh that might not be the most accurate thing to say you know um you know it's like i, I guess that's debatable so like um, I think if you put heavy load, like if you're doing a, a, a back squat or something like that, um, and you purposely drive your knees into valgus, obviously that's not going to feel good. But like we've talked about before, there's a certain sense of adaptability or flexibility, whatever you want to call it, where like you mentioned Craig Anderson, like why is his back knee able to go into valgus every single turn and nothing happened to him? You know, so I don't think we're there yet in the research, but, um, you know, so I guess that's what the ACL is. I don't know if I, um, yeah, totally. So was, was that an okay description? Yeah. Or? I'm just going to reiterate from my own understanding and maybe for the listeners as well. So the, the ACL is preventing this, this anterior and posterior movement or limiting it, right? Yep. Of the of the leg, it's also the the lateral to medial. It's limiting that valgus and and uh, lateral movement as well. Correct. So yeah, got, pr- primarily the valgus, so the medial like okay. drive of yeah. So mostly mostly kind of this axis, but not to the outside. And then uh, it's limiting rotation of the upper femur. That's or right. The lower. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So in this in this move, like. We saw him do this turn just fine, and his leg didn't go into valgus. It held through the turn. So in this instance, there was just too much load, and because it feel it, it, it it's almost as if it did snap right there because you can see it just goes to valgus, whereas the previous layback it never really it was a little bit inward, but it was never. If we go back to that one, it was. It was never like a, an extreme version of it. Uh, let's see, where is it? Is it this one? I think it's this one. I mean, he was just absolutely tearing it up. Yeah, you can see here, right there's where most of the load, and you can see it's not, it's not turning inward. Yeah. So at this point, basically right there, so you can see right there's where all the load happens. You can see it with the with how deep the rail goes right there. It almost buries the whole board. That's where most of that momentum and all that force is going into that leg. And it's going in kind of at a lateral angle. And so maybe, you know, this was, I don't know if they mixed up the clips. Well, I guess they must have. This must have happened before because his leg went out, right? So mm-hmm. we do have a timeline on this. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it just got worn out, like tired, uh, or there was something underlying. I don't know. Yeah, I think, um, well, <clears throat> it's uh, it's a non-contact injury, and, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about non-contact ACL tears, we would have to say that they were most likely preventable. You know, shit happens in sports, so... You know, I guess this is just kind of, you know, kind of fun to talk about or debatable. But I mean, there could have been all sorts of contributing factors. Like you said, uh, 
Uh, maybe there was just the biomechanical contributing factors for why this happened would be maybe he uh, cut a little bit different and it put a little bit more force through the knee. And, and so the force of the turn exceeded the capabilities of the tissues to withstand um, uh, the tearing uh, kind of mechanism. Now, in general, it's um, let's just leave proprioception out of it and, and talk mainly about... Um, the muscles and tendons, those things are like these uh, kinetic springs that are like uh, dampening force, right? So if if you go back, or maybe you start there and we'll go frame by frame. And so his lead leg is an extension, his back leg's in flexion, and here he's kind of creating that corkscrew mechanism of generating torque to drive the turn. And, and if you pause right there, you see how his back knee is super bent compared to his front. His knee is in flexion, so the quad and the hamstring are working um, with what we call co-contractions, meaning they're trying to stabilize the knee by contracting at the same time. And just given the angle of his trunk, um, you know, we would presume that there's some glute uh, activation as well there, as well um, uh, at the same time with maybe some back and core activation. If his trunk was bent forward a little bit more, we'd say maybe the glutes are pulled in a little bit more. But because his knee is bent and his ankle is getting um, re reactionary force from the board, it's going up into dorsiflexion, right? Right. And so from that, you're mainly getting uh, the deeper calf muscle known as the soleus, which serves uh, ACL protective function um, because it attaches below the knee and behind the knee. And so if the ACL, like we talked about, is a restraint of not allowing the tibia to go anterior, the soleus is working eccentrically to kind of counteract that force, as are the hamstrings. And so we would hope that muscle system would do its job. And so we'd go, okay, well, if it failed, maybe the muscle system had something to do with it. And probably the most notable thing that we see in the literature, and, and I think I mentioned this way in the beginning when we started this podcast a lot of the research is done on uh, cohorts like um, adolescent female soccer players uh, because that seems to be the mo uh, one of the most prominent groups of uh, having ACL type of tears uh, especially non-contact type of ACL tears but um, uh, we would say okay well things we could focus on would be strength power endurance and um, with endurance comes fatigability. So we could look at this and we go, okay, well, what context do we have? Well, it's stab in the dark. He flew in a night or two before. He stayed. No, a night. He was there for 20, maybe 24 hours, they said. Yeah, here you go. Yeah. And, 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 and what was his sleep like the night before? How right. many how many beers did he have staying up how late with Jordy and Dane and the camera crew catching up? And now you put him on a new board, right, that he's not yeah. accustomed to. It's like, okay, so what we know is with sleep becomes um, increased, with poor sleep becomes increased fatigability. And so maybe this is an hour, two hours into a session. This is the 20th time he's done this turn. His, that whole kinetic chain, that elastic um, uh, kind of like uh, kinetic spring system we just described is now a bit more fatigued and now here we go right yeah. and then you combine that with a nuance of the board he's not quite used to it that's futzing with that nervous system uh kind of reactionary control that whole proprioceptive stuff we talked about last time and that could have been enough to do it um 
So there's so much there's so much working that is what you're saying, and that's my my question was gonna be: Did his fatigue have possibly have something to do? Again, we don't know. We're we're completely um, uh, speculating about this, but could it could it be a possible cause? And it sounds like it could. Uh, but not only just on a, a physical level, but on the proprioceptive level uh, in the in the uh, nervous system that we talked about, as you said, all he, his body's learning this board. Yeah, and it's it's going through. It's working. It's his brain is working. The 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 muscle fibers that are connected to those movements are working. All three of them said this board felt stiff to all of them, and so yeah. if. If he's partway through this session on this new board and he already kind of in the back of his mind thinks it's stiff, he's reinforcing that mindset that it's stiff, uh-huh. you know. And so all these things are kind of building up. And maybe I'm picking at you know picking at straws here, but um, I, you know if we were to analyze it, which we can right here because that's what we get to do because we're not Superman like Mick, uh-huh. um, that could definitely play a role which means if we were to take a lesson away from this uh, regardless of whether this is the reason for his blown ACL or not but making sure that you guys are getting sleep and rest uh, before you go out and surf for three hours oh yeah I agree I think it's like for you and I now that we're getting older it's always that one more wave. It's always that one more repetition. You're like, ah, I'll just do one more. And that's when you get hurt every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, you know, obviously we don't have Mick here, but if, if he was my client or patient and I had him right here in front of me, um, I would have so many questions for him. And Mick's such a high-end athlete. Like, he could probably tell us why it happened, you know? Um, yeah. Well, he could probably tell you exactly what he felt in each frame. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, but if, if we had the luxury of talking to Mick right now, like, what do we know? Okay, so we've already established um, maybe fatigue played into it, just given the whole context of what stab in the dark is, right? Like, he showed up, uh, probably took a red eye or a long flight, caught up with his friends. I would presume he stayed up late. Maybe got subpar sleep compared to normal. Now he's got those strikes against him. How's his how hard? Heart? How hard did he work the day before? How hard did that, he surf? Yeah, you know, that that too. Leading up to this, that too. And then you got like, okay, what's his nutrition like? What's his hydration like? Are those things playing into the fatigability of his tissues because he's in a new country? Um, some of the biomechanical things, you know, we commented on strength, endurance, power, fatigability of the, the, the muscles and tendons. We can look a little bit more. If you hold that frame right there, Rob, he's like in that kind of uh, valgus position there. So uh, what he needs there is dorsiflexion mobility. And if he lacks dorsiflexion mobility, the tibia is going to go further into uh, what we call internal rotation, mm-hmm. which again is going to put tension and drive the knee into an increased valgus position. So we know uh, limitations in the talocrural joint, i.e. the ankle, um, specifically with dorsiflexion with closed chain tasks such as this. If we run out of available range of motion at the ankle, well, the physics are it's going to look for the motion further up the chain, right? Right. And so the knee is going to be potentially um, more susceptible to things like ACL or MCL um, sprains and tears. 
And if you go a couple more frames, so what we don't see here, we already talked about the front to back plane with the knee being bent uh, and what the quads and hamstrings are doing. Mm -hmm. But the hip also needs flexion, which is a bent position, and it also needs internal rotation. Uh-huh. Now here's the deal. Um, we could either be, so that whole complicated thing we just described with dorsiflexion, ditto for the hip. If there's limited hip internal rotation, the, the path of least resistance is going to be through the pelvis, SI joint, spine, and perhaps driving more force in a valgus manner through the knee. Uh-huh. And so these are biomechanical things that if I had Mick on a table, um, we would look for. We could easily check dorsiflexion mobility, hip flexion, internal rotation mobility. We can easily do tests looking at his fatigability, strength, power of his quad, hamstring, soleus, uh, glutes. Um, some of that cool stuff um, Dr. Stephen Duhigg was talking about was what's his core, what's his multifidus fatigability look like? And, and some of that research is um, maybe coming down the pipeline, but you know, um, that could potentially play into it. Maybe down the road, we'll be talking more about that. Um, so just the, the, the biomechanical things would be those things, mobility, strength, endurance. Those are kind of like what most people think of. The more modern day stuff is the stuff we already talked about, kind of maybe some of that more, not necessarily psychosocial stuff, although maybe he felt a bit of stress to get up early because the cameras were on him and he was shooting a show. I don't know. Um, but those would all be kind of questions or things that I would want to look at for Mick. And what else do we know about Mick? Well, he also had a proximal um, uh, hamstring uh, tear uh, where he avulsed the pelvic bone, uh, which is such a tough injury. And I don't know what leg that happened off of, that happened to him on whether it was his left one or his right but i think it was around 2004 he did the splits um doing a floater and um he essentially tore the hamstring which is the muscle behind the thigh on its proximal or what we call the upper attachment where it attaches to our sit bone and he actually tore a little piece i believe of the sit bone off now let's let's pretend for a minute that uh that was on his right side Right. If that was on his right side, even though it was a long time ago, could that have set him up for something like this? Because maybe it led to some hip stiffness, some decreased tissue flexibility in the area, which limited limited his proprioception, which would bring us back to that screening mechanism we talked about last week of that cat sib test or the modified mm-hmm. cat sib, cat sib, which was that foam and dome. So standing on a single leg. Eyes open, eyes closed, head rotations, and repeating with the foam. And so if we saw something relevant, like hypothetically speaking, if we could do these things before he went and surfed, like if we saw relevant things in tests like that, then we could go, hey, Mick, work on these simple things. And essentially, that's how my screening tool got developed, right? Um, So... uh, Essentially, if Mick came to me and went through the screening program, maybe we could have picked up things that might have been um, things that he could have worked on to potentially prevent something like this. Not to say, not not trying to say I would have saved the day. That sounds kind of silly, because a lot of these tears are so multifactorial, and we just control what we can control. But there's a lot of like biomechanical 
nervous system, things uh, that we could do to potentially prevent things like this? It, I mean, it sounds like it depends, Jim. Well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You know, I, I really, you know, um, as much as we want to uh, pin it on a, a one answer, like many things in the body, it's usually a combination of things that drive the um, outcome, not just one thing. Yeah, a, a couple things that I took away from this, uh, just from a, a biomechanical point of view, um, is, you know, I drew here, you got your hips, you got your ankle, and your knee right in the middle. So if you, in, in thinking about, again, the amount of force, the load that's going into this, he's starting to compress, recompress right here in this frame. So all of this mass, all of his weight, plus the momentum of him moving in that direction is all falling into this system onto that leg. There's a little bit of load in the front, but a lot of it is loading on that back leg because it, he's stopping himself. Had he come, had he come around like a normal cutback, more of it would be on the front. It'd almost be more balanced, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so fascinating to me. You have an immense amount of load and speed onto these three kind of areas. And like you said, if any one of those just doesn't have the mobility or doesn't have the strength, then it it kind of gets pushed to another part of the of the line. And the knee is right there in the middle, mm -hmm. right? And so that's kind of almost like, well, I, I've tried to bend, uh, find mobility in the hip. It wasn't there. I tried to find mobility in the ankle. wasn't quite there. Mm -hmm. Well, knee's next, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not meant to go in the direction that it ended up going in, in, in terms of that amount of load. So I was thinking earlier, like, could you replicate this in – in uh in in the clinic you know could you load somebody up to a point and then have them have to make a similar movement like this to see and again this is totally hypothetical but to see if that would make the acl blow you know mm -hmm. uh, uh, of course you would be like dude you're insane you're like causing pain on this person i would try to improve that person use that but I'm, again, this is the way a math brain works. It, it works in extremes on one way, one end or the other. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking just could we replicate like – and it, I think it would be difficult to replicate. But it's just a nice – in my mind, a nice thought exercise um, mm -hmm. and learning from you, of course, um, how important keeping everything mobile – strong mm -hmm. uh, at just a base foundation you know you can walk throughout your whole day and say you know i'm strong i'm fit i went for a swim today no problem my lungs are fine mm -hmm. but you give me that cat sim test and i fail miserably at it and then i brush it off as ah oh, whatever it's just a balance test mm -hmm. but this is if you know if you want to go to this level of surfing or or load mm -hmm. um that's yeah. The litmus test. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to like doing simple things well, right? Yeah. So like, I mean, we could essentially deconstruct it and then reconstruct it from there. So like, you know, if, if Mick is now doing post-op stuff, the post-op stuff of, at some point in time looks a lot like ACL preventative stuff. You know, so what do we need? Well, we need good ankle mobility, specifically dorsiflexion. We need full knee range of motion after an ACL reconstruction, assuming he had surgery. I think he did. 
he would need full flexion, full um, extension, so straightening and bending. He would also need full rotation of the knee, which is sometimes an overlooked thing. There is rotation capability at the knee, and oftentimes that gets that that gets overlooked, and then that kind of futzes or potentially can futz with that whole proprioceptive mechanism. The drawback is when you start trying to restore rotation or you know certain techniques might be too aggressive at certain points in the graft healing process, um, depending on uh, what tissue was used to reconstruct the graft, whether it was a, a, a autologous from his own body or a cadaver uh, a graft. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, you need full knee range of motion. You would need, uh, let's just say, full hip range of motion, emphasis on flexion, in other words, knee to chest, internal rotation. If it's his back leg, for sure. But clinically, we're trying to look for all planes of movement. We want full or as close to it as we can. If he had any other pain in his body that could have futzed with this whole approach, we would want to address that. Who knows? Maybe he was nursing a niggling hamstring thing. Or maybe he had a little thing in his back. We would need that to be addressed to make that whole system work better right? Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about that last time. That's our low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. Assuming mobility is good and it doesn't have to go in this order, we would need strength, endurance, power of all those selective um, uh, systems. And uh, PTs, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I'm a bit myopic, but this comes from, I come from a little bit of the old school approach where we would really want to make sure each individual muscle group as much as we can't really isolate uh, muscles like we think we used to be able to but um, we'd want good soleus strength good calf strength good quad strength good hamstring strength good glute strength good hip abductor strength good core strength right and then we would want to put it together in what we call compound movements so that's where your deadlifts come in that's where your Olympic lifts come in and those are all simple things and then we would take them through the whole cat sib. And these are things we would do to prevent injury as well. And if we assumed everything that I just rattled off was pretty good, then yeah, then we start going, okay, how do we make things, how do we keep your fitness up? In other words, how do we train endurance power and keep our mobility looking good? Once we have mobility, it's pretty easy to maintain if we're just doing lifting and in training training that looks a little bit more like i don't want to say crossfit but incorporating um olympic lifts in in just general uh what i would call good fitness and full range of motion uh exercises totally so deep okay. squats lunges and in in varying it and in, in getting in your cardiovascular exercise which goes to that endurance thing because remember it's a system if he's getting fatigued paddling and now he's standing on a surfboard because he's lacking oxygen and recovering his his lower quarter is still not going to work well you know what i mean so mm -hmm. it's it's working on like the more and more systems as we're getting more or less myopic we're we're, we're working on more and more systems um and so uh uh the the cat sib stuff so that's all that balance stuff so training balance and then assuming all that's pretty good um, it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, I think sport specific stuff starts coming into play and that's where like, you know, maybe some of that like carver board stuff 
works really well. You can start like picking up the speed, picking up the vigor if you had a nice bank and really work on um, uh, turns uh, in, a, in a controlled way. Um, mm-hmm. With so, load too because that will also carry your momentum into the turn. Yeah, totally. Whether, yeah. yeah, so as soon as his therapist said let it rip, which would be down the road, this wouldn't be something he would do shortly post-op. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent training tool to like think about the movements involved with doing a turn like that again. So yeah. he could kind of control the speed and gradually pick it up. And that's a kind of turn where it's like, it's kind of like snowboarding. If you go very slow, you can't do it. You need a certain amount of speed to kind of have some rigidity or kind of hold to it. Well, um, exactly. That's the physics behind it is that out on the shoulder, there's no power in the wave. Mm-hmm. He's getting all of his power from his momentum. It's bizarre if you think about it. He's getting all of the speed or ability to make this turn happen from his momentum going down the line in the direction he was going in. And then Mm -hmm. once he puts it on edge, there's the reaction on the bottom side of the board that makes helps him finish the turn but to your point without that speed going down the line if you're like just tootling down the line and then you try to put it on rail like that you're just going to fall over on mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. what what i'm hearing from you and i'm trying to relate it to the everyday surfer mm-hmm. you know because mick he's got all the time in the world to do all this stuff man he's right. a pro surfer right mm-hmm. he's retired now he's retired for a even better but like you know well, you and I, we, we work all the time. We've got families. You know, how do we fit and prioritize these things in? Now, we aren't doing like Superman-sized hacks like he is. We're not putting that much load. But if you were to scale down his, his surfing to the everyday surfer, there are instances where you and I would be going down the line at OB and we'd be putting almost the equivalent amount of ratio of load into our turn that he put into that term. So mm-hmm. equivalent size, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, given our fitness level on our leg mm-hmm. and our leg's going to go. So mm-hmm. my, my big question to you then is, all right, given all the time in the world, those are great. Let's, let's do it all. Right. But mm-hmm. given limited time, do you think that these, these full body exercises, the, uh, are, are better than the really isolated stuff? If you had limited time, um, are there certain, uh, activities that you would throw in because you can't do carver, you can't weightlift, you can't do stretching, you can't mm-hmm. do cardio all in the same day. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to break it all up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you got to do meditation, you got to do your journaling, mm-hmm. right? Like we talked about last week, you got to do all these things, right? We, right? We're like, you got to do all these things, guys. So how do you fit it in in the everyday life? Yeah, good question, and uh, I guess the short answer is, is I don't know. You know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah, good. Like you know, I I mean, I have an unfair advantage because I'm a trained professional, you know. So like, I know I I probably have a different understanding than other people, right? So it's like, I know if I have a niggling thing going on with my body, that's my focus until it's better, right? And so I'm I'm constantly assessing my body in terms of how it feels to perform you know and so i feel like i feel like i'm pretty attuned just from a a history of of athletics combined with what i do every day working with athletes so but that that is great advice as is because if somebody is 
is dealing with some sort of ailment that they can feel or this this limiting factor in their body what you're saying is take care of that first yep. right yep. and really focus on that get that so that your body feels good you feel mobile mm-hmm. you feel flexible you feel energized and then you can work on all kind of the foundational movement kind of yeah exercises that you've referenced yeah i think um generally speaking i'll go over some myths that i think are very um limiting that um i think uh i hear just surfers talk about and um i know plenty of surfers that surf really well that do zero strength training and if you ask them why uh i hear things like well i maybe i don't need it um oh it'll make you bulky um uh maybe it doesn't prevent injury um you know, there's all sorts of reasons why a person might not have to be incorporating some sort of resistance training in their week. And if you're one of those people, I guess my question would be, how come? You know, there's so many benefits with strength training. And going back to your question, it doesn't need to be full body movement versus uh, small muscle movement. Why not both? Right? Because, I mean, that's a debate that could go on for the next 10 years, you know, but incorporate them both because they both have their role, you know, and if you're unsure what those movements are, find a trainer, right? Um, Find a trainer, find a PT, get someone to assess your body. I mean, you wouldn't put a bunch of money in the stock market blindly. You would get a professional to help you out. You wouldn't buy a house without, you know, consulting with a mortgage broker or a realtor. You would find people, right? And so we don't have to be left to our own devices when it comes to uh, our bodies. But you know, in my mind, what's uh, what's a sign of a good coach, a good PT, a good trainer is it's a relationship that doesn't build dependency, right? Like it's uh, so if you if you saw me, my job is to teach you about your body. Most of us have uh, one or two kind of things that tend to come up from time to time. Uh, I you know I hear. Oh, I throw my back out once a year and then it lays me out for a week. And so, okay, so that's, that's something that's going on in your body. Let's, let's maybe think about working on that. Um, Oh, I had a hip injury years ago and ever since then it doesn't quite move the same. Great. Let's work on that. Um, But if, if you're one of the lucky individuals that has none of that, there's all sorts of um, things you can do. Uh, to not only prevent things like ACL tears, but all sorts of injuries with surfing, not to mention general, um, just general health. But for whatever reason, um, uh, and I don't know why, uh, stretching and foam rolling seems to be pursued more than heavy Olympic style lifting these days amongst people that I work with. And I think the thought is, okay, I'm going to roll out and stretch to get more flexibility to become more mobile and that's going to prevent injury. And I think that's fine. It's, it's just kind of an old school belief that um, we might want to challenge gently and go, you know, like those are good tools, but they're not the end all be all be all tools. They're not really the tools that prevent a lot of injury. Like there's research scrutinizing, Uh, What prevents more injury in athletics? Is it strength training? Is it endurance training? Is it foam rolling? Is it stretching? And strength training wins. Stretching does very little to prevent injuries. You know, kind of let that sink in because that's not what you and I got in high school PE. Right? Stretching. 
you know, yeah. we, we, we've come a long way since then. So what prevents uh, a lot of injuries is just slowly building physical capacity through things like strength training. Mm-hmm. So if we're not doing that, do it. And if we're unsure how to start, contact someone. Yeah. So I've got kind of a summarize then, uh, a summary of this. Because I get bored really easily with doing the same thing, hence the X-Win program, why every day is different. And and so I think if I were doing strength for weeks, months, right, and then I got bored with it, maybe I'll go do some stretching, do some mobility, do some balance, and then I'll go back to strength. But having, having kind of the blueprint in front of me that strength is going to help with both um, uh, injury prevention as well as mobility if you do mm-hmm. it right. Right, and so it's almost like a catch-all, like you get it all mm-hmm. in doing, doing, doing those things. But again, I think we've talked about how the body adapts so quickly that if you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you get really good at that one thing, but then your body makes all different movements in surfing. And so it's actually better to, in your training, do different things mm-hmm. throughout it because you never know what how you're going to contort your body, mm-hmm. how the wave is going to come down on you and how you're going to need to contort your body underwater, for example, those sorts of things. So I'm just here and have variety. Be okay for to, to change things up. Yeah, variety is the spice of life, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, no, I like I like that statement. And um, uh, But don't, we, we don't lose, try not to lose sight of how uh, beautiful the simplicity can be too. Right. Yeah. So like if, if it's like six to eight weeks to yield maybe a five to 10 percent strength tra- change at best, like progressive loading is slow. Right. Yeah. And so if we don't acknowledge that, we might get bored too quickly and not give it a mm. chance to take hold. So point. so I think it's OK to be boring sometimes, like just as long as you're not, I, I think, letting that like really off rail um, kind of what you're doing. And um but like generally speaking, I, uh, like I think most good trainers will look at uh, like if you have a hip joint and you could play this game all day long with every joint. If you have a hip joint, it's a ball and socket joint and moves in all planes of motion. So you should strengthen it going front. You should strengthen it going back. You should strengthen it going in and out and then internal, Diagonal. external yeah. rotation. <laughs> right. And then and then that, you know, that's open kinetic chain. And then you could do the same thing with closed kinetic chain. Start yeah. doing deadlifts at various de- uh, depths, right? So it's like there's there's subtle ways. I mean, there's there's literally thousands, if not millions, of kind of variances of exercise. Like, okay, I could do a squat with my trunk bent forward. I could do it with my with my trunk upright. I could do it with different load. I could do it with my toes turned out. I could, you know what I mean? And we can go on oh, yeah. and on. Um, so I think the foundational movements uh, should be a staple in a program like things like push pulls squats um things like that uh and then you can vary them till the end of time really but like i wouldn't say get bored with squats and just never do squats again and do like you know partial squats on a bosu ball i'd say well you should still be working deep squats right if you want to like be an athlete but like if you get bored with it maybe take a reprieve from it add a band around your legs or, you know, mix it up with a ball toss at the bottom of your squat or whatever it might be. But, yeah. you know, and that's where a good trainer comes in to keep you engaged, I think. 
Yeah, no, that's a good point. <clears throat> well, cool, man. I think we beat, uh, beat that one to a bloody pole. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. If, if anybody has uh, questions or want to add to our discussion, uh, make sure you get a hold of us. Um, thank you guys for the awesome feedback we've gotten so far for the podcast. You've gotten some. I've gotten some, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And uh, it's good that people are listening. Makes me feel good inside. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's been fun. And uh, keep it coming. If any uh, questions come up uh, that you think Rob and I can um, maybe shed some light on, please just email one of us or you know comment on a YouTube uh, video or something. And uh, you know. We're not going to answer it, Jim. We're going to say we don't know. But we'll research the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, or or you'll just ask me and I'll stammer for an hour about how uh, <laughs> it all depends. It all depends. No, absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, gives us a great excuse to uh, get together and chat. And uh, until next time, we'll see you in the water. See you, guys. <laughs>